Welcome to the Doodle Kisses podcast, an extension of doodlekisses.com. I'm your host, Adina Pearson. Doodlekisses.com is the social network for Labradoodle and Golden Doodle owners, wannabe owners, and the doodle curious. The goal of this podcast is to provide education, entertainment, and connect with our Doodle Kisses members on the topic of Labradoodles, Golden Doodles, and dogs in general. Today, I'm bringing you my interview with the fabulous Linda Kame. She's well-known in balanced training circles and has been training dogs longer than I've been alive. Linda has titled dogs in obedience, helped other people title dogs. She's groomed. She's shown in confirmation. She has a ton of knowledge, experience, and skill with dogs. What I love about Linda is that she doesn't mince words. She tells it like it is. And sometimes this means she uses a little salty language, but as dog owners, we need to be open to what she's actually saying. These days, the term balanced training has an undeserved negative connotation. The philosophy of the age is that training should be 100% positive and dogs should never be corrected or controlled by us without a treat. If you are of that mindset, that's okay. Some of this might make you uncomfortable, but discomfort in learning is also okay. One thing I didn't realize until the end is that Linda had assumed I was a professional trainer myself, which felt cool, (laughs) but I'm not. And that's probably just because of how we met. A few times in the episode, she names books or trainers from history or suggests a concept that I should know and I didn't. So anyway, that's why. She mentions an exercise called sit on the dog. I'm going to link you to an article that explains it, but just to ease your mind, it does not involve any literal sitting on your dog. She has a workshop coming up for dog owners this summer, and if you're anywhere near her, I would totally recommend you go. I'm going to link to that in our show notes as well. Get ready to learn some new things. Keep an open, wise, and curious mind as you listen, and you will find some gems. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Doodle Kisses podcast. Hi, how are you today? I'm good. I'm so excited to have you here. First, I want to hear about your dog story. What is your dog story? How did you start with dogs? Oh, God. Um, I was a, a, I was a lonely child. I was adopted and brought to the United States, uh, non-native English speaker, into an English-speaking community. And so a whole bunch of stuff was thrust upon us at very early ages. And kids can be cruel. And I was the victim of their cruelty. So uh, we were not allowed. We had a cat. My dad was terrified of dogs. So he didn't permit me to have a dog until I was much older. But um, I found solace with being, you know, being in the company of animals over the company of people. Um, Then when uh, kind of as a negotiating point for my father to make sure that I didn't go south as a child, he bought me my first dog when I was 11. And it started out um, a love relationship that that never stopped. I mean, I um, the only thing I ever envisioned, I can remember being like six and seven years old, wanting to be a Cocker Spaniel. <laughs> Most kids want to be a fireman or a nurse or a president. I wanted to be a Cocker Spaniel. Um, so there was that. And um, it just never changed. I mean, I just I just it just went from there. Uh, at one point in time, that particular dog was an Irish setter. 
And he was a wild man. And uh, he actually broke my grandmother's nose. And my father's like, trainer, I'm going to kill it. And I'm like, well, okay. So I actively sought training for the dog um, and fell in with a woman who actually used to show at, um, she she had dogs that were titled all the way through utility, but she had uh, several special dogs that used to do the parades down in New York City, hmm. um, like in the 60s and the 70s. And she used to do exhibitions at Westminster, because at the time, Westminster did not offer obedience competitions. And uh, so she and her dog, she had a Springer Spaniel and a Bedlington Terrier. And uh, that's where I got my start. And I said, you know, this is all I ever want to do. Unfortunately, back then, it didn't pay the bills. Um, I was living at home with my parents. But um, I started training dogs professionally when I was 19. I worked for an outfit in Arizona and uh, have been doing it ever since. I did it part time up until my son was born and I've been full time ever since. And how long have you been training dogs? Uh, 48 years. Wow. I love that. <laughs> She's got experience. Okay. I was really interested in your ideas about puppies because in, in an interview I watched somewhere else about with you, you had mentioned that you'd been really into researching puppies and, and stuff about puppies. So I'd love to ask you more about that. Um, you know, anything stand out in your research that sure. was brand um, new to you? Well, not necessarily brand new, but a lot of the stuff that I read is codified stuff that we've been doing all along. Mm -hmm. um, Genetics and the Social Behavior of the Dog by Scott and Fuller should be in everybody's library if you're a professional dog trainer or if you're a breeder or whatever, because it enables you to be able to extract information from that text um, and apply it directly to the dogs that you're raising or training or whatever. Early neural imprinting is a thing doesn't matter if you're an eagle or if you're a llama or if you're a puppy, um, we can actually influence adult behavior um, as early as when the ears and eyes open, right? And it's the same with children. There's this mythology that children don't learn you know, life skills, but they do actually in the first three years of life, it's important that they get a lot of early nurturing because it enables them to be able to be compassionate, empathic or empathetic people as adults. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with dogs. We want to do a lot of early influencing of their behavior when they're very, very young. And we're not talking eight to 10 weeks old. We're talking as early as 21 days. <laughs> Carmen Battaglia wrote a piece and Dr. Battaglia is a German shepherd breeder of some note. Um, and he also has a lot of um, had a lot of input in a war dog program back during World War II or post-World War II, Korea and Vietnam, and uh, called it the Super Dog Program. And he actually wrote the script for that, or at least participated in writing the script for that, where they talk about early neural imprinting and the things that you can do to help create a dog who's a little bit less inclined to succumb to stress um, by, uh, and only, you only do it for the first 16 days of the dog's life. Um, you do things like uh, put pressure on their, you know, pinch their toes and uh, subject them to cold temperatures, warm temperatures, being, uh, you know, flipped upside down on their backs, things like that before the ears and eyes even open. And they actually, although there is no science, um, there's no codification in, in text, it was discovered that it does create dogs who are a lot more resilient later in life. 
But the thing is, and this is what people fail to remember, you have to continue that stuff. You can't just Mm -hmm. stop. So it's incumbent upon the breeder, the producer of those puppies, and it's incumbent upon a person who acquires those puppies to continue that work going forward to make sure that by the time the dog is an adult dog, it doesn't turn into a dithering idiot. And as a professional trainer, I deal with a lot of dithering idiots because none of this work was done. If it was done, it was forsaken when the dog was very, very young. And, and that's, you know, it's, it's important to remember there's a lot more to teaching a dog to sit and to stay and to heal and to do all of these things. Um, you know, contact, physical contact is very, very important. And that's one of the things that Scott and Fuller discovered relatively early on. If these dogs don't have physical contact by the time they're like five or six weeks old, um, they get a little jiggy. Um, If they don't have human contact, they have a tendency to be a little on the neurotic side. They're fearful. They have a tendency to be sort of afraid of, you know, afraid of humans, afraid of being touched. They become snappy and things like that. And uh, they did a whole host of tests on dogs over a course of many generations uh, to determine what those set points were behaviorally, which is where you get the uh, imprint periods of a puppy's life Um, and research into that that indicates that we can't absolutely influence what a dog does as an adult before they even leave for their first home. So that was a pretty, you know, impactful thing. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Yeah. And as far as, you know, puppies, once they reach their new homes, because most of my audience is pet dog owners and, you know, they get their puppies anywhere from, I don't know, seven to eight weeks. A few people don't know as much and pick up puppies at six weeks in states that allow that. And the other thing, you know, that I'm finding right now because of COVID, I'm seeing so many posts and doodle forums because of COVID, my dog has separation anxiety. Because of COVID, we didn't get to socialize it. And I think a lot of that is like a misunderstanding what socialization means, as well as yeah. like, well, what, you know, why create? Yeah, socialization ends. Uh, what, what people consider to be socialization is incorrect one. The other thing is, is um, socialization is simply getting an organism to adapt to any environment it finds itself in. It's not throwing it into a group of other dogs and letting it beat up or beat up, get beat up on. Um, it's not taking them places that it fears. It's not doing any of that. Um, and people have this uh, mythology that's been shoved down their throats by an assortment of people who have never really worked with animals for any length of time. And there's a lot of speculation about you know, socialization and what that's supposed to look like. And the other thing is uh, separation anxiety clinically does not exist in the animal world. It doesn't. Um, It's 100% human created. And as such, it can be 100% human fixed, right? Mm -hmm. The vast majority of that has to do with the fact that people need to know what they're about. And COVID is an exceedingly easy excuse to use as far as I can't get my dog out to do X, Y, Z, um, I, you know, he can't be around other humans, which is BS. Um, he can't get around other dogs, which is also BS because basically the notion that you weren't ever allowed to leave your house is just bogus. There's, there's, you had to go someplace. You had to go to the store. You had to go to the drugstore. People just simply took this as an opportunity to not have to do anything with their animal. And on top of that, basically, they sat there in there. I don't have a stuffy present, but I'll use my cell phone. Pretend this is my little puppy. We're sitting here together all alone. We have no, th- we can't go anywhere. And they just, they, they became 
the dog became an emotional dumping ground for for everything. And the unfortunate reality is, is now people are starting to emerge from the darkness of COVID and they're moving back into the light of the world. And uh, the dogs have never been conditioned for that. They've never been prepared for it. This last year has been one of the busiest of my entire career. Uh, we haven't missed a beat. Uh, we were putting up record numbers because the the very early on people discovered i don't know what happened out there but here people learned three things right off the bat they hate their kids they hate their spouse they hate their dog so they figured out this is the one thing i can control so i'm going to go ahead and seek help because now this is out of control and the dogs conversely are, are at home going why the hell haven't you left for work yet i got a couch to sleep on i have crap to chew i have TV to watch and mailmen to bark at and all of these things that you're disrupting. So we had all these timeline disruptions and the dog's kind of going, hold the phone, just stop. This isn't, you know, and some really, really serious behavior started to emerge. Lots of aggressive behavior, lots of defensive aggressive behavior, because now all of these people, which have never been assembled for long periods of time to begin with, mm -hmm. are converging on what the dog considers to be his own personal space. And the dog's going, hey, back off back off, get away from me. Don't touch me. And people are like, I don't know how to cope with that. I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> Would you say that you disagree? Like, is your position on separation anxiety different than a veterinary behaviorist? By a mile. And I'm okay. usually right. Yeah. Um, actually I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to tempt fate and say, uh, so far over the 48 years of my career, I've been right every time. Mm -hmm. There is no condition that a dog, you know, and yes, I'm not saying that there's no place for drugs. I am saying that they need to start forsaking this language mm -hmm. about how separation anxiety can't be cured and all this other BS, how, you know, dogs can't learn how to adapt to being crated and all these other things. And basically there's, I'm not saying there's no place for drugs. I'm saying that there is an appropriate place. And I'll be honest with you, the vast majority of dogs that we've seen that have been on pharmacology for mm -hmm. quote unquote anxiety are better off without the drugs and are better off with a complete training program. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen every single one of them improve. Right? Yeah. And when you say complete training program, you're not training to break anxiety. You're just training the dog. Just training the dog. Heal, mm -hmm. sit, down, stay. Um, the funny thing is, is the, the most compelling reason to use the command stand and stay is to teach the dog confidence. Uh, in the stand, we're placing the dog in a position where it can either fight or flee. 99% of all dogs will choose to flee. When you put enough pressure on them, they're going to run like hell to be in the next county because that's how they figure they're going to stay safe. It is the most powerful confidence building exercise you can use on its own to teach a dog to not fear whatever might be um, pressuring it in the environment, right? Because in the dog's language, stand means I'm preparing to do something. Mm -hmm. I'm preparing for movement, right? Motion towards or motion away from. And when you teach a dog that, and then you basically leave him out there and abandon him to his fates while you're you know, creating all of these environmental distractions, the one thing the dog learns is adherence to my obedience is more important than anything I may fear.
Mm-hmm. And that's a profound statement. Any of your stays are going to help with that. Um, teaching the dog that he can function without, you know, having someone going, don't worry, Pepsi, it's okay. <laughs> We're in this together. <laughs> you know, and I and I I don't really I well actually I'm not gonna lie. I don't I don't care if people read that as being facetious or not, because it's true. When it comes to dogs, we have a tendency to impact their behavior through our behavior. Our dogs are receiving cues 100% of the time their dogs, their eyes are open. And if that's the way you're treating your dog, you're conditioning your dog to act a certain way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I see like in, in doodles, but in other breeds too, and in dog forums, I tend to over-participate in these places. (laughs) I see so many, sometimes I'll be scrolling through Facebook and I'll see a post that says, my baby has diarrhea and I think I'm in a mom's group, but it's actually a dog, dog group. group. And I'm like, yeah. wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Your well, baby, you... <laughs> yeah. I just left a dog group today. I'm like, I just can't believe that people are this inane one people calling themselves trainers and they're asking for, you know, dog house breaking one-on-one advice. And I'm like, you're nothing but a pet owner. If this is the kind of thing you're coming to a professional trainers forum to ask. And the other thing is, is it's like, have you heard of the internet? Do you know that it's a thing? Do you realize that you can actually research this information on the internet without having to ask stupid questions in front of a bunch of people, right? I'm just saying that that people need to be more thoughtful about the advice that they seek because they can't be unprepared for the answers they receive. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And in a situation, especially it's like if you, the first thing, the, everything I need to know about an individual as a human being is the first thing out of their mouth is my baby. And they're referring to their dog. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. We can't be friends anymore. We just can't because this is a dog. I'm an old woman, right? Well, not an old woman, but I'm older. Uh-huh. And when I was young, we didn't treat animals like children. We treated animals like animals because the, un, the, the uncomfortable uncompromising reality of any relationship you have with an apex predator is the minute you die, they're going to start with your eyelids and your lips, Hmm. right? They don't care. They're, you know, they're going to mourn you up until they get hungry and then they're going to start eating you. 70% of all uh, people who have died alone, who have been in the presence of their pets when they're died, have been partially consumed before they were discovered. 70%. (laughs) So how do you, uh, recommend people handle nipping because the going thing with nipping is redirect, redirect. Uh... Well, first of all, it's not nipping, it's biting. And, and mm-hmm. uh, interestingly enough, um, we're actually doing a, um, Dave and I will probably do a uh, a live on this because I hear this, this phrase all the time, you know, he's just nipping. I had a so guy. So puppy biting, puppy biting. I had a, uh, we had a client the other day. The dog openly growled at my husband. This was Wednesday night. The dog openly growled at my husband, who was basically acting as a judge um, in a confirmation class that we had. And he went to just stroke the dog under the chin, which is an appropriate signal. And the dog growled at him and turned around and walked away. He was like, that's it. I'm out. And I'm like, "Okay, no problem. And the owner turned around, looked at him and says, what did she say? Oh, uh, she was he was she, she wasn't growling. She was breathing. Hmm. And I'm like, bitch, please. The dog was growling at my husband. I'm standing less than 20 feet away. I heard it. I saw it. She wasn't breathing. She was telling him to get away from her. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and people, there's this perception, and this is, you know, um, the internet has just become a thing in my lifetime. I was a mature adult and owned my, you know, third or fourth home before the internet was actually a thing. And I can remember back in back in the day, you know, I was like 25. 
almost 30 years ago, um, the old AOL boards, boards and the dial-up and stuff, and 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 before the internet was uh, available virtually to everyone. Um, we didn't call it nipping. We called it biting. Anytime the dog opens his mouth on you, he's biting you, right? It's not just a little nip. It's a bite. The dog is telling you. He's conveying information. And uh, basically, 100% of that process is facilitated by the owners. Dog's not going to come out of nowhere, walk up to you and bite you. He's not. You've done something to precipitate that behavior. You have something the dog wants. You're doing something the dog either likes or dislikes. The dog has been conditioned to believe that when you behave a certain way, he behaves a certain way. And usually that's, you know, when it comes to anything perceived as offensive or defensive aggression, biting, right? It's always perceived as being the dog's flaw or the dog's fault. It's mm -hmm. never the dog's fault. I would tell you right now, unequivocally, the whole concept of the unprovoked attack just simply doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So when people come to me and say, well, my dog nips, I'm like, well, what are you doing to make that happen? Right. You know, and I'll ask them, I'm not, I won't come right out and accuse them and say, well, what did you do? Right. Mm -hmm. um, like my mom used to do to us when we were kids, you know, which is funny, you know, 60 years ago, you came home and screamed at the neighbor dog bitch. The first thing out of your mom's mouth was, what did you do to the dog? <laughs> And now it's like, what did that dog do to you? It's like, you look, honey, you know, if your kid's boxing my dog in the face, he's going to get bit. But anyways, um, the first thing I'll ask them is, you know, give me give me the circumstances, what was going on. Give me a blow by blow so I can see it in my mind, what lo it looked like when the dog did that. And usually they're like, well, he grabbed the tea towel and I was chasing him through the house. Well, there you go. What makes you think the dog's not going to become defensive when you do that? You're just a bigger predator. This isn't a game. None of these dogs perceive this as a game. They don't think it's funny. They think it's serious and that you're going to kill them. They're like, his tail's wagging. I don't care that his tail's wagging. Tail wagging just means arousal. It doesn't mean happy, mm -hmm. right? I've seen a lot of really predatory dogs wag their tail before they try to end me, right? Wagon, wagon, wagon. Come <laughs> you. you know, you're a big fleshy gal. I bet I can get a big chunk of you in it. <laughs> You know, and I'm like yeah. people, you know, pet people in particular, and a lot of new dog trainers think that just because a dog is, you know, head up, tail up, that he's being friendly or that these are friendly overtures. No, no, that's not what those things mean at all, at all. So, right? so puppy biting then, like, you know, the eight to 16 week old puppy that developmentally is more bitey. <laughs> How do you recommend owners deal with that? On a leash and collar. First of all, um, we have uh, we prescribe a what we call pacifier toys or interactive toys. Pacifier toy is something the dog can engage with on his own in the confines of a very specific space, like a crate. Right. Mm -hmm. An interactive toy is something we do together. So we teach the dog to target the toy and we teach the dog that the toy represents interaction with us. Mm -hmm. I don't give dogs toys that they can play with on their own because I don't want my dog thinking that that brings him more pleasure than I do. Mm -hmm. So we do these things together. Um, a lot of people, like you were saying earlier, it's all redirect, redirect, redirect. No, I'm going to I'm going to discipline that behavior and I'm going to do it in a very easy way. Dogs are already on a leash and collar. All I have to do is apply just enough pressure with the leash so that the dog's caught between the decision to breathe or continue biting, right? Not, no, I'm not going to yeet him across the room like I'm fly fishing. I'm just simply going to apply enough pressure to him until he lets go. And then I'm going to simply point him in another direction and hold him in that direction until he loses interest in me. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to let him go. And people, you know, takes a minute, minute and a half. 
So I may have something available for him, but I'm not supplying him that thing. And the reason why I'm not giving it to him directly is because I don't want him thinking that act A, biting me, facilitates act B, me providing him with some type of supplementation. That's never going to happen because I don't want that behavior to be a predictor to some form of reward or some form of reinforcement. And it's the same with being a predictor to an unpleasant event. I'm not going to smack the crap out of him either. I'm not going to yank on the leash. I'm not going to do anything that makes him think that approaching me or being with me is going to be a predictor to an unpleasant event either. Mm -hmm. It's all about emotional neutrality. And people don't get that because they think, puppy, baby (laughs) stuffed toy. ah!" Right. (laughs) And as a result, the dog grows up neurotic as hell. I mean, I've seen so many really, really um, socially awkward young dogs in the last year than I think I have in any time in my career at one Mm. time. And how does that look? How does socially awkward look? Super, they're just super bitey. You know, you you can't, there's there's all kinds of level of arousal that occur anytime you approach the dog, depending on how you approach the dog. If I just want the dog to sit next to me while I stroke it gently, it's trying to grab my hands, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm holding the dog on a leash and collar and I have a person approaching the dog, the dog is like either fearful or he's acting like he's completely out of control. Oh my God, someone new to touch me or they're barking and carrying on like they're going to eat them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, you know, and all these behaviors and, and, and every single one as a dog trainer, I know you've heard this. He doesn't do this at home. Yeah, you do. I guarantee you do. You're just not paying close enough attention to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Or it's happening so fast that you're not registering this as a problem. And the thing with dogs is if it goes unabated, if this behavior is completely unaddressed. Right. Then what happens is the dog thinks, well, shit, this is an endorsement. I get to do this. And as a result, what happens is the dog thinks that this is something he's allowed to do because no one's ever told him he's not. And the unfortunate reality is, is because people don't know they either come down too hard or they don't do anything at all. And as a result, the dog's like, hey, awesome. I can do what I want. I think it's hard because there's so much out there that suggests you should not say no to your dog. Like you have to somehow create all these environments in order to teach them yeses. And so people don't know how to say no. They're either, like you said, too hard or don't do anything. Here's a big secret. I don't tell my dogs no either. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I I have created uh, uh, a large amount of material designed specifically to address puppy behavior and the appropriate education a puppy should have by the time it's 11 or 12 weeks old. Um, I never tell my dogs no. I just disable their ability to engage in behaviors where I would have to say no. Right? We, we believe in what we call the yes environment. Mm-hmm. And I already told you, right? Dogs on a leash and collar. So when I am mentally and physically present, okay, my dog's on a leash and collar. Like right now, normally tomorrow, I'll probably be on the computer all day. Okay, and this is my son's old bedroom. It's now currently my office. And basically what I'll do is we have three young dogs in the house. And this is an environment where I can actually have them do an exercise called sit on the dog, Mm -hmm. which was uh, basically codified by my friend and colleague who's since passed, Margot Woods. And uh, essentially, you put the dog in a position where if he struggles, he's going to find himself moderately uncomfortable. Um, If he doesn't struggle, he's going to create his own inner peace, right? We call it the doggy zen, 
And I'm going to continue working because I don't have to be a part of what that dog is doing. Nature is teaching him what he has to do in order to be comfortable. And we're going to, you know, I'm going to make sure that his biological needs are met before we do this because I'm going to be here for a long time, right? At least an hour, hour and a half. He's been fed. He doesn't need to go to the bathroom. This is part of adequate mental stimulation in order to teach him how to concentrate, right? He doesn't need all kinds of activity. So basically what I'm doing is teaching him when I settle, you settle. People have a tendency to think in terms that they their dog needs some type of stimulation around the calendar clock. Now, children are overscheduled. Dogs are heavily overscheduled too. Dogs sleep over 85% of the time for a reason. They're great conservators of energy. So we have to supply those opportunities because just like any other young organism, all it wants to do is play, 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 right? Your kids, whatever. Are you a parent? Yes. Okay. How old are your kids? Nine and 11. You remember when both of them were very small, they get overtired. What happened? Oh, they get grumpy, grouchy. Yeah. Awful. And you threw them in a bed, they screamed for a half an hour, and then you didn't hear from them for a while, right? Because they were just sacked out. It's the same with puppies. You, you know, people are like, um, you know, my dog has special needs. No, he doesn't have special needs. You have special needs and you're dumping your special needs onto your dog, right? Your dog needs to be left alone appropriately so that he can grow. Okay. You know, he needs a lot of rest because biologically dogs are designed to be great conservators of energy. They are sprinters, not marathoners, emotionally, physically, mentally, right? Um, and that's not something that we have really bred out of them as a species. They're all essentially the same. They're all endowed with the same number of drives as our wild, their wild ancestors. What happens is, is we either crush or enhance those drives as they grow. So if you're enhancing that prey drive by constant play, 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 constant interactions with other dogs, constant inappropriate interactions with other people, you're creating that monster. The dog wasn't made that way. You made him that way, right? So when it comes to terms with, you know, what it is you have to do, a balance, 10 or 15 minutes worth of meaningful, thoughtful work, right? Teach the puppy how to sit when he's being greeted. And you can do that by having him tethered to a door, right? All kinds of particulars, you know, there's all kinds of things that you can do that don't require a great deal of effort on a person, you know, on the human's part, and doesn't even require a great deal of work. You can condition these things without needing other dogs. You can condition these things without needing other people. And then when you had that opportunity, you put those things in front of the dog in order for the dog to remember, oh, hey, we did this over here, and I see some similarities to what it is that we're doing over here. So I'm better off doing the thing I'm being asked to do as opposed to fighting that. And that's conditioning. I mean, when we do training, as you well know, everything is introduced in threes. There's no reason we can't do the same for puppies. I'm going to introduce you to this thing that I want you to do. I'm going to put that behavior on cue. So when you hear it in the future, you're going to know that this is what I expect you to do. And when I go to proof this behavior, which is the third step, I'm going to put you in circumstances that demand that you choose between what I want you to do and what you want to do. I will punish you if you fail. I will reward you if you don't, right? Mm -hmm. That's the, you know, there's, there's symbolically, there's nothing different about that than there is any other actual training throughout a dog's life, a human's life, a horse's life, any domestic thing that has to learn how to set aside its instinctual process in favor of, an educated process, right? Child, horse. Yeah. 
Tell me, boy. I can imagine some in our audience are like just recoiled when they heard the word punishment. Because <gasps> so <laughs> say a few words about that because we're not like beating, you're not beating the dog. You're not throwing things at it. I've said this before. Punishment comes in a variety of forms. These are all the words that people hate to hear. Pressure, force, punishment, coercion. Yeah, they are really bad right now. (laughs) I don't particularly care because um, I, you know, here's the thing. It's punishing to go to the OBGYN if you're a woman, but you still go, don't you? Mm -hmm. Right. If you have a cancer history, you go religiously every six months to make sure that everything's in check. Um, If you're a guy, the doctor proctor. Right. All of these things. There's so many things that we do that we find just revulsive, but we do them anyways. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Family gatherings and the holidays. (laughs) Right. There's people I would just assume avoid. But I have to put on my social face and I'm going to be. Basically, I'm going to succumb to my lowest level of training. And my lowest level of training is I don't murder anybody in the streets because I'm angry. Uh Right. So punishment for me is being denied access to escape things that I don't like. The OBGYN, uh, family gatherings. Right. I'm 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 very heat intolerant. Even when I was young and thin, I was very heat intolerant. Being in the sun is punishing to me, right? So people think in terms of punishment, they think that you're just strapping the dog. No, I can punish my dogs by denying them access to things that they want. I can punish my dogs through attrition by never allowing them to engage in behaviors I know are going to facilitate arousal, Mm -hmm. right? And here's the thing. A correction does not have to be punishment, but a punisher is always a correction, Mm -hmm. right? And when we use things like force and pressure, right? This is force. The weight of this phone on my hand is a form of force, right? This is the absence of pressure. Pressure equals force. Absence of pressure equals no force, right? But then my wrist is canted at a specific angle. Pressure, force, elbow, same thing, right? It's all basically a chain, but people don't want to break it down that small. They just, they don't have the wherewithal to be able to understand in terms that go that far down that chain, right? Of understanding. And it's unfortunate because they lock themselves into this, this nether world of logic or, or illogic. Um, they don't understand that, you know, a bird, right? Who basically gets knocked out of a tree. No one did that to him deliberately. You know, the baby fledglings before they're ready to fly. No one did that to him deliberately. That's a pretty form. That's a pretty big form of pressure because if he doesn't start flapping his wings, mm-hmm. you know, domestic cat's going to come along and grab him, and that's going to be a problem, right? Right. So we have to think in terms of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And oh, people yeah. Want to get caught up in in language? Um, I strongly suggest that they actually go out and find themselves a dictionary and actually start using it because. Just because their lack of understanding of a word that we use commonly in everyday language doesn't make it my problem. It makes it theirs. And I like the example of when you get to a stoplight, you've been trained <laughs> to learn to drive to stop at the stoplight. And there is punishment. It can be you could get <laughs> you can get a ticket or you can end up crashing into somebody yeah. and, and you avoid that. But you're not doing it yeah. with fear and trembling every single time. You just learn this is what you do yeah. to avoid exactly. that thing that's now abstract because, you know, you're not going to, you know, run the red light 
or try not to. <laughs> That's exactly right. And the thing that people fail to understand is there is no, there is not one day in our lives that we are not a victim of some form of pressure, some force, form of external force that is pushing us into a behavior, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we get corrected virtually daily, right? Didn't go to the grocery store the other day, ran out of coffee. That's a huge problem in this house, right? <laughs> so guess what? I had to, I was being punished because I had to go to the freaking store for my oversight because I didn't think hard enough in the past to remember that we needed coffee. Mm -hmm. And this is Sunday. This is our day of do nothing, right? We don't leave the house. We languish. We're, we work seven days a week. So on Sundays, we do as little as possible. And damn it, here I have to leave the house to go do something that I should have done two days ago. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if people think in terms of, you know, harsh. Yeah, that's harsh to me. Getting my fat, lazy ass up and having to go to the store because I forgot something two days ago. Yeah, that's I think hard. it's important to conceptualize punishment because I because huge. Huge. positive yeah. only is so popular, people are afraid to do anything that the dog might perceive as uncomfortable or not the most exciting thing ever. Yes, so. and I'm going to hurt a whole bunch of feelings here right now. A lot of those people are people who have had um, relationships with humans that have remained unfulfilled or were somehow traumatic for them. So they figured that they can exact some form of control over this one thing that they have control over, and that's their pets. Mm -hmm. um, we're currently dealing with a situation right now uh, with a client, lovely woman. Um, I'm very fond of her, but she is having a really hard time struggling with the fact that what we're trying to get her little dog to do is trying to help her control the dog better. Dog's only six months old and she's already starting to show teeth, right? Mm -hmm. And we actually took the dog in for boarding and training uh, period for about three weeks, actually four weeks to get her house broken because this dog was crapping everywhere mm. because this woman's like, well, she should never wear a leash. Mm. Well, how do you expect this shit to get done? She should never be in a crate. Well, you know, I mean, your partner is tired of this dog crapping on the bed. Ugh. So you need to make a choice. Is your, you know, is your relationship with your, your spouse more important than your relationship with this dog? And they need counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, the humans need counseling, but ultimately what needs to happen is this dog still needs to be trained. Um, here she is six months old and she was throwing hands at my husband last night when we were working with her before, um, you know, when they came up for a follow-up visit and it's like, you know, when did she start biting? Well, she's been going after the, the female owner since she, not since she got home, but about like about a week now, dog's been home for, I think almost a month, close to a month. And I'm like, why? She's like, because she doesn't follow through with anything I tell her to do. Mm. I, I can't help that. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's not like we're beating the dog. It's not like I'm asking her to beat the dog. All I'm doing is asking her to restrain the dog in a meaningful way so that she's not able to do these things until it's out of their mind. Because in the dog's world, they cannot occupy, you know, two thoughts cannot occupy the same brain at the same time, right? The dog's not thinking, oh, hey, I have to go to the bathroom but it's time to eat. The dog's going, oh, hey, I have to go to the bathroom. And then when it comes back, it's like, oh, it's time to eat, right? So they're not going to forsake one behavior. They will forsake one behavior in favor of another because just like us, contrary to human belief, we do not multitask well, mm -hmm. right? right? We can think about two things at the same time, but we cannot do two things at the same time, not well. And we're still diverting, right? 
every time we have a task in front of us, like the other day, I was on a conference call at the same time I was trying to pay my bills um, on the computer. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is stupid. Am I the person I'm talking to? I'm like, oh, no, no, not you. I'm not, not ta-, you know, and I'm just because I'm just forgetting. And I'm like, you know, what I thought was going to be a really interesting, you know, tap, tap, click, click task. Right. Turned out mm-hmm. to be a monumental nightmare because the interface that I was using on the computer was changed in the span of a month. So, and my, the person, the client that I was talking to, I'm like, no, no, I apologize. And that was a valuable lesson for me. I can't share my attention between two things. I have to focus on one thing at a time. I've been having a lot of fun doing these podcasts, interviewing interesting people, learning along with you. I don't really want to stop. However, producing a podcast takes time and money. I'm willing to put in the time, but I don't have podcast production skills. And so we have to pay for a professional to put these podcasts together. This is where you come in. If you're getting anything out of listening to these podcasts, please consider supporting the Doodle Kisses podcast. If every single person who listened to at least one episode gave $1, we could cover the production of several episodes. If you gave $5, well, we'd be done fundraising for the year. Go check out our GoFundMe page. The link is in our show notes. Now back to the learning. So there's a lot of options for owners, pet owners right now. There's YouTube videos, there's like online programs they can follow. There's, and a lot of people show up on Facebook forums and ask for tips or advice on how to solve a specific problems. Um, and that can be helpful, but it's already, I think it's a kind of an ineffective way to train a dog. If you're new to dog training, you know, kind of piecemeal. Tell me yeah. what you think about that and what you see as the potential problems, or if you think it's useful. I, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I've been doing an online thing now for a while, uh, much like uh, Tony. We have so not uh, an online training program as much as like getting advice from this online place. Okay. Yeah. Um, But basically it's like, I think that, you know, the the problem isn't the the volume of information. The problem is the volume of bad information. That problem isn't necessarily that the information is available. That problem is the source of the information. That's the problem, right? How to be able to ascertain who is a safe subject matter expert. How can you approach that person or how can you learn anything? Because there's a lot of charlatans out there. I mean, I can name, you know, I've been around for a long, long time. I've been around since before the advent of the internet. Um, I watched the internet grow from its infancy um, into what it is today. And we'll be here at least for a couple more years before it goes way beyond my scope. But the thing is, though, is people, you know, they, they think that they've created stuff out of whole cloth. They haven't. There's nothing new in dog training. Bart Ballon will tell you um, he's basically one of the most internationally recognized names in dog training right now. And the very first thing out of his mouth is it doesn't matter how you assemble it. There's nothing new in dog training. And there isn't. Mm -hmm. What I tell people is go for the oldest source. And the oldest sources being stuff that was written prior to the 90s. Right. Um, And, you know, and I mean, I, I have absolutely nothing against uh, using clickers and using treats, we do so every day. What I have against it is the fact that people have a tendency to never be able to fade those things. The dog is codependent on them and they never really teach the dog anything outside of, I only have to do this in the presence of food, right? Mm-hmm. But the thing is, though, is it's part of a larger system. And if people aren't willing to identify that in nature, <laughs> 
we are not driven by our success. We're driven by our ability to overcome failure, right? And that essentially is the same thing when it comes to clickers and treats and all that other stuff. Anything that leads with that, basically, personally, I would ignore. You add that after, you don't start with that. Anything written, um, you know, and again, in the in the age of reason, right, which I think we've, you know, we've jumped that freaking shark. Um, I think that people have a tendency to everything they read, they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. You know, and there's books out there. You know what they are. Conrad Most, uh, Will Judy, um, Hans Fritz, uh, Bill Keeler. There's a thousand of them out there, right? And basically, would they advocate, you know, corporal punishment for dogs in some form? And you know, corporal being physical, we're not spanking our dogs. Corporal just simply means physical. People don't get crazy. Um, basically, people, you know, and well, in my generation, spare the rod, spoil the child, right? Mm-hmm. My parents used to wail on us, right? Um, not because they were mean people, but because that's the, that's what they did. You did something wrong. There was no ifs, ands, or buts. My dad was military. He'd been Marine for a long time. He came home and he's like, you screw up and this is your consequence. Well, okay. But if you receive bad information and I get beat anyways, that's unfair, right? Didn't turn me into a serial killer. And the one thing I promised I would never do is spank my child. And I never did. Right. Mm-hmm. There was times when I wanted to, but I never did. We have to be able to rationalize what we can use and what we can't. Critical thinking is dead in this country. It is absolutely dead. It's dead in the way we um, deal with each other. It's dead in the way we deal with our dogs. If you can't read a document and be able to parse things out of it that you can use and then go all hysterical because of the things that it may suggest you do, that makes you an idiot. That doesn't make you anything. You're not woke. You're not a social justice warrior. You're an idiot, right? Because reading comprehension is a skill. And if the first thing you read is, oh my God, he advocates that you stick the dog's head in a ditch filled with water, you're an idiot. Because there's 17 other chapters before you get to that point that says, these are how you circumnavigate those problems. And very early in this conversation, when we were talking about separation anxiety, you said it yourself, we're not dealing with separation anxiety. We're training the dog, mm-hmm. right? Do that first. Almost 100% of your problems go away, right? And it starts with the very young, teeny tiny baby puppies. And the reason we start with them is because a Great Dane at three months old is one fifth the size of a Great Dane at a year old, right? I'm too old to wrestle with that crap. One of the reasons that I started really focusing on puppies and the education of the very young is because I have two blown shoulders, a bad hip and two blown knees. I can't do that work anymore. And that was before I got fat, right? In the situation where you can still, puppies are malleable. They come in a variety of sizes, right? Mm-hmm. The, the original uh, first generation dogs back in the early nineties when they were making it into this country were like a hundred and some pounds. They were huge animals. Um, massive, massive animals. And, you know, uh, contrary to popular belief, they still suffer from the same maladies as any other dog. They shed, sorry. (laughs) Lots do, yes. They bark, Mm -hmm. they need discipline, and they're huge, and they can often be very unmanageable, especially when you weigh 100 pounds, right? Mm -hmm. And most of these poor people were like, well, I was only told he was going to get to be 35 pounds. Well, (laughs) Oops. (laughs) Um, Sorry, didn't work for you. But the thing is, is basically we take this information and it doesn't matter what happens at the end. What needs to happen is is a beginning. 
so that the dog understands there are rules associated with living in a human household. Keep my feet off stuff. Keep, keep my mouth off stuff. Be polite to guests. Be polite to owners. Don't destroy things that don't belong to me. And don't poop and pee in the house. Pretty simple, right? So when we talk in terms of what it is we want a puppy to learn, we're talking in terms of the things that people always overlook. They want to teach the cutesy things, right? They want to do the do more for your dog things that AKC has made into a title, right? They want to do all of these other things that essentially have no meaning. Right. right. Because they don't prevent the dog from developing the behaviors that are going to cause him strife later in life. Right. We teach how to keep your mouth to yourself. We don't use corporal punishment to do it. The first thing I'm going to nail a person for is grabbing a puppy's muzzle and squeezing it shut. I will slap you down. Right. We don't yank and jerk. None of that stuff. But we have mechanical ways that teach the dog to adapt to human touch in a way that they do not find offensive and find no reason to protest, right? Mm -hmm. This prepares them, especially doodles, right? The, you know, they're becoming, they're, they're fast becoming the most popular mixed breed dog on the planet, right? In every country, not just here in the US. They require a fairly high number or a high bit of grooming, right? Mm -hmm. Not just nail trims, but oh, yeah. the, the beard hair and the hair in the ears, um, around the dangly bits on males and around the, the female, you know, the sanitation trims and stuff like that. Um, and their coats can be really offensive and difficult to take care of. Mm -hmm. So they require a lot of hands on. Nobody conditions the young for that. Nobody. I'll be honest with you. I am one of the only trainers in the country that does. And everyone who does it now does it because of me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's like I've prepared document after document. I've prepared video after video of exactly how to go through these things and do these things. So by the time the dog is a young adult, the dog isn't going to sit there and scream and cry every time you, you try to comb the, the burrs out of the bottoms of the toes or cut the nails or clean the old man ears or clear the muzzle or core the eyes out so the dog can see and get the eye boogers and things like that. These are things that we actually do with every dog to make sure that by the time they go to the groomer for the first time, they don't have these problems and they don't complain to the owner. We have a dog in the house right now, six month old doodle, lovely little dog. Um, horribly overindulged. She weighs about 25 pounds. Uh, she's, uh, um, I don't know what all of her domestics are, but she's this beautiful deep chocolate color, right? Brown eyed. She's not that yellow eyed mess that I, I see a lot. Um, really, really rich pigment. And uh, she can't be groomed. She goes into hysterics. They had, they, the, their, the first time they had her groomed, um, I believe she said they had to have her sedated because they couldn't groom her. I'm like, oh, wow. she's a puppy. Yeah. What are you telling me? Right. So we had her. Um, she actually for a document that I'm preparing, um, she actually was one of our victim puppies. Um, and I was doing some basic um, handling drills that we do with every dog um, that resemble a lot of the stuff that confirmation handlers do, which is where I got the skills from. And um, I had her up on the table and I was just holding her head upright in a way so that she couldn't whip around. I mean, she tried to grab me and I'm like, nope. And I brought her straight up and then straight back down. Didn't yank her off the table, didn't beat her up, didn't slap her around. And she was like, you know, no one's ever told me I couldn't do that before. Thank you for the information. And she was golden for the rest of the lesson, right? Mm -hmm. We skipped a day that was Thursday. And then today's Sunday. And then we did it again on Friday. 
And she was like, you know, tossing her head around and she started to squeak a little bit. Same thing, right? Didn't pinch or twist, didn't yank her off her feet, none of that. Straight up, straight down, just like so. And she was, oh, well, okay. So I'm holding her with my left hand and I'm examining her feet with my right hand from the front. And she starts coming in on me like she's going to try and bite me. And I'm like, no, straight up, straight down. Going to pause for a minute until you relax and I'm going to grab your feet and I'm going to do it again. By the time we were done, we were able to actually cut her toes without her cut her toenails without her having an absolute hissy fit. Her toes, her toenails haven't been done since she left the breeder at 10 weeks of age. Yeah. Six months old. And I'm like, this is not acceptable. And this dog, the woman who owns her has a very young daughter and this dog is just climbing up this kid. And I'm like, and the scratches on this kid are just unbelievable. And I'm like, why did you have her nails done? Well, they can't touch her nails. Okay. Common problem, I think. <laughs> right. And the thing is, is that I advocate for groomers too. I mean, I started out grooming dogs. I started out doing a lot of stuff before I became a dog trainer, right? Mm-hmm. Invite these people in, charge them 10 bucks to leave their dog for 20 minutes once a week every week until the puppy needs his first trim. Because by the time you can charge him $65, you've already made your money. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you're dealing with a dog that you can actually physically handle, right? So you do a foot a day, you get the dog used to the idea. But I, I'll be honest with you, I've met some really heavy handed groomers too. And I'm like, uh, no, we can't be friends anymore. If this is the way you think you should be um, handling a dog, then, then you sh- probably shouldn't be grooming dogs. If you get frustrated and angry because you're dealing with a young dog who doesn't know how to stand on a table, that's not the dog's fault. That's the owner's fault. And if the owner doesn't have the wherewithal to teach those skills, they need to find a professional who can. So look for, and I'll be honest with you, I know a lot of professional handlers who don't like doodles, but they do like money. Mm-hmm right? Find a professional handler to teach you how to teach that dog, right? Find a poodle groomer to teach you how to groom that dog because the vast majority of doodles end up getting groomed like poodles anyways, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Take these dogs, especially terriers, the broken coated terriers, right? Take these dogs to places, look for them, look them up, take the time to travel and make the contacts for people that make sense to you and can help you with the issue that you have. Nobody knows how to groom a broken coated terrier. Nobody. There's not a pet groomer out there that knows how to do it, right? Show groomers do. I don't even know what a broken coated terrier is. But like Karen terriers and oh, okay. Airedale terriers, broken coat, right? They okay. have hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's real wiry. Most uh-huh. of them have real wiry hair. I think there's only a few of them that actually have like silky hair, like people hair. Um, Wheaton's, uh, what are them blue dogs called? I can't remember my bridge now. It's it's late. It's <laughs> no, but the carry blues, carry blues. Oh, okay. A couple of other breeds that have real soft open coats, uh, but most mm-hmm. of them are broken coated or smooth coated. Um, but basically there's a thousand and one things you can do in order to find appropriate information. But look for aged information. Um, and even on the websites, you know, you can go to the AKC website or you can go to the AKC website. You can look up um, professional handlers that show a certain type of hair coat, mm-hmm. collies, shepherds, huskies, right? Go to their websites, look them up on YouTube and see what they have. If they're local, ask if you can go and see them, right? Mm-hmm. The thing, the one thing that troubles me the most about dogs 
is we spent more money and time researching appliances and vehicles than we do the animal we're going to live with for potentially up to 15 years. Right? So, Mm -hmm. and the internet is a bad place because people have a tendency to stop looking anywhere below the fold on Mm -hmm. Google's first first page of of results, right? Right. Now, research more, research more, research doodle hair problems, uh, research doodle behavior problems, research whatever the breed is. It doesn't even have to be doodles. It can be any, you know, right. um, Bouvier behavior issues, right? You're going to come up with a whole series of people who have concerns. And, you know, basically everything is going to emerge as a type of a pattern. Bouvier, a herding breed, is actually a droving breed. So they have to have a little bit of sand in their pants. They've been used as dogs for uh, defense, um, personal protection for driving large breeds of uh, livestock, hoofstock, sheep, cattle, so on and so forth. Um, what kind of temperament do you think that dog has? Tough. Out of the gate, <laughs> yeah. right out of the litter. So, and you know, that's the other thing is, is all dogs are representative of a specific type of behaviors because it's genetically programmed, right? Yeah. And all of yeah. your working dog breeds, okay? All of your guarding breeds have a high level of suspicion because it's bred into them to be that way. Well, they get to an age, one of those fear imprint periods, and they're going to decide who they are when they want, when they grow up, right? Am I going to be a bad guy or am I going to be super afraid? Because that's what suspicion does. Mm-hmm. It makes you afraid until you learn to overcome it. Suspicion always doesn't always become bravery, but you can make it become bravery, right? With how you handle that dog, right? Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about specific breeds of dogs, I started out with sporting dogs. I will probably always, I'll die with a sporting dog. Sporting dogs are known for their gregarious temperaments. They're usually very people friendly, so on and so forth. Um, But because uh, they can be super sound sensitive, you want to start conditioning them against that before they're mature. So it's not a startling revelation for you as you know, you put them under the gun and you're starting to hunt for birds in a situation where you have any of these working breeds, same thing. If I have a German Shepherd, I know what it's going to be like by the time it hits about four months old. It's going to turn into an idiot. It's going to stay an idiot until it's about 18 months old or two years, right? Because that's the nature of the breed. Oh, my God. 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 Everything's wrong. You're wrong. This is wrong. That's not supposed to be there. Oh, my God. What are you doing? And it takes them a long time to grow out of that. But you have to nurture what you want. And instead of beating what you don't want or punishing what you don't want, you simply need to make it available for the dog to learn what it is that you would prefer instead. Right. So I'm going to hold them to it. Dog's going to be on a lesion collar. Prime example of this, especially if you live in cities. I don't know about you're in California. Yes. Washington. On Washington Small State? town. Yeah. Okay. Small town in Washington. So in in uh, do they have do you have storm drains on your streets? In I Washington? think so. Yeah. OK. So a lot of times after big rain. OK. Uh-huh. Storm drains um, up eight miles up the road from us. We take dogs up to this large it's not a large community. It's a shopping area for the community in which it resides. And at the bottom of the parking area, because it's on a downward slope, there's storm drains, um, probably about every 50 or 60 feet. And a lot of times we'll take very young dogs who have never heard water rushing under their feet before. As you're approaching the sidewalk, you can hear the water running, right? But you can feel it if you're a dog because their feet are on the ground and they feel it first. Right. And they already st- they start getting jiggy before you even approach the sidewalk. Right. We'll march them right over to the storm drain and we'll make them sit on it. Right. And like I said, I'm not eating them like I'm fly fishing. I'm forcibly walking them up there. They can't escape. I'm moving whether they want to come or not. They realize they would rather breathe than, you know, 
than not walk. And then once they get up, they're like, oh shit, that's all that was? Oh, okay. And they're fine with it. And they never mm -hmm. forget that experience. The startle factor is the issue, the recovery is. So what we're doing is trying to condition the dog against that. But if you're not prepared for what it is that you're gonna be dealing with from the beginning because people don't do their research, right? Mm -hmm. You're gonna end up with a whole more, a whole host of problems that you hadn't anticipated to begin with. And that's unfortunate because it's not up to the dog, it's up to the handler. Yeah. Yeah, for those of you listening, thinking about doodles, it's so important to research the parent breeds in the dog because, of course, doodles aren't a type. They could be sheepdog and poodles. They could be Bernese and poodles. They could be, you know, everything in poodles. So, you know, if you're thinking of a sheep, sheep a doodle because it has cute black and white markings, find out if you would like a sheepdog. <laughs> find out if that's a dog yeah. that you want to have as a family pet and then find out if you would like a standard poodle by the type that it is and the temperament and the working drive and all of that because they're not all meant to be family pets in the same way. No, they're not. And I'll be honest with you, we see a lot of doodles and the two that I favor the least are going to be the sheep doodles and the burner doodles. Mm. Um, burner doodles, if you're a, an active family, sheep doodles, never, never. Tell me about what can you say about sheep dogs? I don't know sheep dogs very, very well, but I know they're herding breed. They're dumber than a box of rocks. Well, I mean, they're basically they're they're a fiction. A lot of these Victorian era breeds are a fiction. Um, uh -huh. And what I mean by that is they were created for the species with the with the income. Right. And Victoria era dog breeds. There's a lot of fiction associated with them. And Old English Sheepdogs would be one of those. They're an amalgam of a lot of land race herding breeds from the continent overseas. Um, they're not really old. They're not really English. And they're not really Sheepdogs. <laughs> Um, but the thing is, though, is it became popular because who doesn't like that big giant haystack of hair, which, by the way, is really difficult to care for. And every pet Old English I've ever met has been shaved to the skin because their care, their hair mats like crazy. Um, but they're a herding breed. They're an amalgam of herding breeds. And what are herding breeds known for? Being Nipping. snappish, <laughs> uh -huh. right? Not even nippy. They're snappish. OK, um, they have really high prey drives. And on top of that, they're taught to push back. Okay. Right. Or they're bred to push back. Mm -hmm. So you have, you know, anything that is used to drive game. Hoofstock or fight is bred to push back. So when you, you know, do you really want that in your house with two year old kids, even anything up to about 12 or 13? Because let's face it, children don't act like humans. <laughs> they act like little pink freaking monkeys. Right. They run around. They <laughs> yes. Creep. They fling their arms and hands around. They kick at, um, they, they throw at, they, you know, they don't act like adults um, because they're not, right? But the thing is, is basically when you're inviting these breeds of dogs into your home, you have to be very, very careful. And I tell everybody this, um, I wish I would get more calls from people who are looking for an appropriate pet. I don't. Sadly, I don't. Um, we get the after effects of them choosing poorly, which is unfortunate. But basically, I tell them, you're not going to go to a vet because you're not going to get a straight answer. A vet wants to part you from your money. So, And plus, a vet doesn't really understand breeds in a mm -hmm. sense that um, a person like a trainer would. I tell people to go to groomers, and I'm not talking the Petco or PetSmart you know, salesperson that went to a two-week groomer school to learn how to bathe. I'm talking people who have been in the business, the mom and pop grooming shops, and talk to their head groomer, right? What kind of dogs have the easiest coat care? If you want a coated breed, what kind of dogs have the easiest coat care? What kind of dogs are easy for you to deal with, 
Okay. There's not just a type. There's usually breeds that they will remind that they will tell you about. Trainers, and again, not the Petco stiffs or the Pet Smart stiffs, but someone who's been in the industry for a while. What are the easiest dogs to train? Not necessarily easiest dogs, but what are the dogs that are least complicated? What breeds do you not see a lot of? Right. Mm -hmm. And then caregivers like boarding places, not daycares, boarding places, boarding kennels, because they're going to tell you who the screamers are, who the ones who are finger painters are, who the dogs that are the most difficult to deal with are. They're going to tell you the breeds that they enjoy having. And you're going to see a similar number or a similar type of the same breeds or the same groupings of dogs amidst all three of those, right? You know, veterinarian is going to tell you, yeah, get that bulldog. Go ahead, get that dachshund, right? Because mm -hmm. it's thousands and thousands of thousands of dollars in income for them. Um, you know, and then the last thing you want to do is ask a breeder. Why do you not ask a breeder? Because they're trying to sell you a, their dog. Most doodle breeders, I, I would say there's probably the the top end pure breed breeders are not trying to sell dogs necessarily. But I think doodle breeders, most of them have a business yeah. rather than, you know, they're doing it for the betterment of the breed. So, yeah, they're going to sell you on it. Yep. And the problem is, it's really unfortunate, um, you know, people who have an interest in making money off of you are going to tell you everything you want to hear. Mm -hmm. And nothing you don't. Um, I had a, um, a good friend of mine, actually, who knows that I deal with dogs. They've had dogs. They've trained dogs with me. And they're like, I want to get a Rhodesian Ridgeback. And I'm like, I think that's a really bad idea. Why? Um, because your kids are too young. And these dogs can be pretty serious dogs. Um, I've met some nice ones. But overall, I've met more not nice ones than nice ones. And they can be difficult. And they're huge uh-huh. They're massive. And Beautiful, you don't have the time. This individual does not have the time to dedicate to making that dog blossom from when it hits that fear imprint period to when it becomes a mature adult. And you know, there's and like I said, there's a lot of fiction around purebred dogs, right? And I started out in purebred dogs, so don't get me wrong. Um, I show, started showing dogs back in the early 70s. I finished my first champion by the time I was what 16, 15, 16 years old. Um, you know, so I know the game I've been showing dogs professionally for, you know, up until, uh, what this last eight years, eight or nine years, right. We field usually about five or six dogs a year that finish their championships, uh, through training that I have conducted for both the owner or the animal. So it's not like, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I'll be honest with you. When you take these dogs, um, from a certain circumstance, and if you're not prepared to do for them what needs to be done, you're always going to be sorry. And, you know, it's the, the, the whole notion that people have a tendency to be able to categorize or compartmentalize the things that they think they need to do are never correct. Um, it's just like with training. And I'm sure you said this too. It's not, I know, I know I'm not the only trainer that's ever said it. It's not a matter of creating more time to do this work. It's a matter of finding time to merge what you need to do with a dog in the time you already have available, right? So um, we're not making more time. We're just simply including the dog in the time we have. People don't want to do that. They don't want to sit there and practice a stand state while they're getting their mail. They don't want to, you know, and they think in terms of having to get, you know, having to get, oh my God, I got to come home from work. I have to do this and this and this. And then I have to deal with a stupid dog. I don't have time for this. And then the dog suffers, yes? So instead of saying, okay, what can we do with the dog while we're doing this other thing? all of a sudden it becomes this big giant problem. Mm -hmm. 
and the dog ends up going, okay, so I'm sitting here in my crate and um, I'm going insane. And then they let the dog out and the dog acts like a dithering idiot. And they're like, who, you know, this dog is a pain in the butt. We don't want it anymore. What do we do now? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Did that make sense? I think yeah. I went off on a tangent there. Kind of. <laughs> That's okay. Tangents are fun. <laughs> so just before we wrap up, one thing I'm always recommending to Doodle Kisses members is to train their dog. And a lot of people start, you know, they use treats to train their puppy. And then that puppy turns five or six months and suddenly isn't listening. And they're like, why aren't they listening? I train them. And I, and while no dog is a robot that you just kind of program and then replace the batteries, you know, at certain intervals, you know, talk a little bit how you define a trained dog, you know, how, what is training? <laughs> training to me is a dog you can live with that isn't obtrusive. Mm-hmm. I can go anywhere with a dog. He's not going to make a nuisance of himself. Um, Everything that I expect in my home or on leash, I expect off leash as well. And essentially, I want my dog to be a, I mean, he's never going to be a productive member of society, but I want him to be an uncomplicated member of society. I don't want him offending my guests, my neighbors, my, you know, um, dear departed mother. I don't want him offending my caregivers. I don't want him offending my veterinarian. I don't want him offending my groomer, whomever. I want my dog to be easy for me to care for and to live with. Um, and that takes effort. And a lot of people are under the assumption that, you know, you take a dog to a dog training thing, however you choose to train your dog, whether it's, you know, God forbid, Petco or PetSmart, um, private training, group training, um, boarding and training, that dog is not trained, right? I ask everybody this question, how many years did it take for you to graduate high school? And they're all like, oh, four years. In some cases, oh, well, I was a protege. It only took me three years. No, it took you a minimum of 13 years, right? Because we start at preschool before we get to grad school, right? Mm -hmm. And people are under the assumption that once they've taken their dog through this training, that it's trained. No, you have to continue to work those skills. They're perishable, just like riding a bike, just like you know, things that you don't do on a day-to-day basis, they are very perishable. And if you don't practice those skills, you lose them. They at least get rusty. It's easy for the dog to be reminded, perhaps, Mm -hmm. but basically you still have to make sure that you take the time to practice those things virtually every day. Yeah. So, you know, what a trained dog is to me is a trained dog. It's non, it's a trained dog is not reliant upon devices or coercion in order to do the work I ask it to do. I don't need food. I don't need collars. I don't need e-collars. I don't need shot collars. I don't need a leash because by the time my dog is trained, he's reliable 100% of the time. And yes, folks, it's possible. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely possible. And you can focus on basic obedience to solve problems, right? Absolutely. You don't have to. There's, I see some websites for trainers where they have like leash walking class and they have self-control class and they have all these classes for like problems yeah. and I think where's the just basic my dog is really good <laughs> to well, it's, it's funny that you say that because I think that stuff is hysterical I just I laugh and laugh and laugh because people like my prices are not at the highest end of the spectrum but they're they're higher than average um but I've also been doing this for almost 50 years um my private training classes start at just under a thousand dollars. And the reason why is because I guarantee you, I'm still cheaper than Petco and PetSmart because mm-hmm. you're going to be doing that shit for at least two and a half, three years. You're never going to get the results that I can get in 10 weeks or less. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And so and they go, well, the PetSmart only costs $99 per. How many times are you going to be spending $99 for their little three and four week classes before you get where you need to go? Mm-hmm. One money, one money, you do the work, I can get you the result. And things that people are like, you know, well, it, it's, it's, it's so expensive. It's like, you know what's more expensive than training your dog? Not training your dog. Mm-hmm. Because lawsuits and lawyers aren't cheap. Right? Have your dog break out of the house. Have your dog cause a major car accident. Guess who's responsible in the state? Have your dog bite somebody, even if it was provoked by the person. Mm-hmm. Right? And those are very difficult to win. They're winnable, but they're very difficult to win. Who pays for that? Right? And lawyers' fees aren't cheap. You're talking five, six hundred bucks an hour, especially for that type of behavior or that type of uh, a lawsuit. Right? right? So, you know, I can help you prevent all of that. But even outside of that, like how valuable is it to be able to walk your dog on leash just about anywhere and know that he's not going to be acting like a lunatic and pulling you and breaking your jaw because he saw a squirrel? Yeah. <laughs> you, know, and that's, are- you know, that's absolutely a thing. We handle a fairly high number of dogs that are dangerous and not dangerous in the sense that they want to end you, but dangerous because we just started a, a dog the other day. We call him the horse dog. I mean, he's He's not even a year old. He's already well over 100 pounds. He looks like he's some form of a Scottish deerhound mix. He's a lovely dog, big, happy, sweet, everything that you want in a pet, right? Mm -hmm. But he's over 100 pounds. And he can, all he has to do is jump on you and knock you down. Mm -hmm. And his family is comprised of several young children and two adults whom the male adult is very tall, but he's very slender. And the female adult is she's a compared to me. She's a tiny woman. Right. And I'm like, this dog's going to kill you. Right. Not because he intends to, but because he's just a big dog. And it's like, you know, and thankfully they were like, yeah, we need to do something right away, which is great because he's super sweet. But if something were to happen, we see this all the time. I had a woman about four years ago was drugged down the stairs, the front concrete stairs of an administration building in Baltimore City, broke her hip, broke her arm, fractured her shoulder blade, her scapula, okay? This woman was like this for months, like seven or eight months, right? Mm -hmm. And then finally decided it was time to do something about the dog. Why did you wait until he weighed that much? You know, he was a big, 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 big dog. Right. Um, They think that dogs will grow out of it. Like, oh, they'll calm down. They grow into it, which is a phrase that I coined because I say it more frequently than anybody. I think I stole it from you recently. Dogs do not grow out of behaviors. They grow into them. Uh If you don't intervene when you can impress upon that young dog that this is something he's never allowed to engage in, then he's going to think it's an option for the rest of his life. And this is part of the training that people need to seek and don't is being able to teach that dog how to turn that prey drive off or how to turn that defensive drive off and work a little bit more closely socially with their owners because the owners don't think that any of that stuff is necessary. And Mm -hmm. that's the failing of the whole positive reinforcement movement. That's the failing of these ineffective trainers who use shock collars and prong collars. That's simply a lack of understanding of the individual and how they function as an organism, right? Because mm-hmm. all of that learning starts the minute the ears and eyes open. And if you don't start impacting that at early ages, they become what they are. 
by the time they're about 12, 14 weeks old. And people don't realize that they stop being puppies at roughly 12 weeks of age. They're actually mm-hmm. adolescents. Yeah. Right. But people call him, oh, he's just a puppy. Yeah. How old is he? Oh, he's two. Two what? Two months? No, no. He's two years. No, he's not a puppy. And he hasn't been for over a year and a half. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's all of these things that people really need to start paying a little bit more closer attention to. It's not about the cute tricks you can teach your puppy. It's how to teach your puppy to not climb up your legs when he's eight weeks old, so that when he weighs 90 pounds at 12 months old, he's not <laughs> climbing up your legs. Amen. Yeah. Yep. Well, Linda, thank you so much for being here today. Where can people find you? And do you do virtual distance training too? I do. Um, I have an outreach program for trainers. I also have an outreach program for owners who have dogs that they're having trouble with. Two different programs. Um, and basically, I, you can reach me online at lionheartcanine.com. I also have a... Uh, you can you can buy me a cup of coffee at buy me a cup of coffee backslash Linda Kane. And of course, Facebook, Lionheart Canine on Facebook and uh, Linda Kane on Facebook. Okay. Li- so send me easy. a link to that coffee one. So I make sure I, I get the right one up. That. Awesome. New, one, new thing coming out this week as soon as I get it fixed because I made it and then I broke it. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure to listen to sort of a different philosophy than we've heard so far. Thank Hope you. Hope you don't get a lot of hate mail. I apologize. Hope so too. <laughs> hey, it's just different ideas. Nobody has to use what doesn't appeal to them. So there's there is that. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Doodle Kisses podcast. If you have any ideas or recommendations for future topics or guests, send me an email at admin at doodlekisses.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at doodlekisses.com. Also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or however you get your podcasts so you can have every episode ready to listen to as soon as it comes out. The show notes will link you to our GoFundMe page, as well as links to some of the things we discussed in today's episode. Talk to you next time on the next episode of the Doodle Kisses podcast.